0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson
1: is purely coincidental. Hello, this is Beckett. A quick word on pronunciation before we begin. We used several sources for our pronunciation guides, but ultimately, I do think we pronounced the names how we felt the most comfortable saying them, which on the surface sounds a little insulting, but if you think about it, it could quickly if we insist on being 100% correct, devolve into almost a mockery of the names, kind of like that Saturday Night Live episode that I will put a link to on the Pinterest board where everyone in the newsroom trying to speak perfectly good Spanish is talking about tornados and burritos. So I don't want to be insulting. I want to be respectful. So we did the research and I would say 75% of the time we do hit it properly, but sometimes we slip. So please forgive us. Uh, we know what we're doing, but sometimes our tongue gets twisted. In addition, especially in part two, if you're listening with children, we're not explicit. We hardly ever are, but there are some episodes and incidents that you might want to listen to first before you decide whether or not to listen to those with the young people in your life. All right, and here we go. On with the show. And here's your 30-second summary.
0: Just your ordinary princess to Queen Tail, born into a royal family, rose to power, protected her people and country for generations with little more than her bravery, wits, bow and arrow, and gallons of blood spilled. The End Let's talk about Queen Nzinga. But first, let's drop into European history. In the early 1580s, Queen Elizabeth I was mid-rule. Mary, Queen of Scots, was still imprisoned and was exchanging the letters that would become the Babington plot and end her life. Queen Bloody Mary I's widowed husband, Philip, was trying to get back into British politics, and he was completely unaware that his battle with the Spanish Armada was going to go so poorly later in the decade. The Gregorian calendar was new and just catching on with the cool kids, the early adapters. Actually, it wouldn't get to be used worldwide until 1926, when Turkey finally got on board. The first... Oldest and still surviving amusement park was founded in Copenhagen. And skipping down a continent, in the early 1580s, the future Queen Nzinga of Ndongo and Matamba was born. At some point in 1583, in the capital city of Kabasa in the kingdom of Ndongo, Queen Nzinga was born. She was the first child to King Kiluwanji and his wife Kengela.
1: But the thing you should know about Mama Uh is that she was an outsider. She was, in fact, a former slave. She had been captured in a war, in a battle, and had been brought back to this town. Word is she was the love of his life. Word also is that the nobles were not down with an outsider being his first wife. And so to accommodate politically, he married a local noblewoman uh, as his first wife. And the love of his life was, in fact, his second wife. And the noblewoman
0: who was selected by his mother. Okay, in in this culture, the lineage of nobility goes down through the mother's side. So it's not the father's blood, it's the mother's blood. So the mother of the king has quite a lot of influence. So she's the one that selected this particular woman and this particular woman whose name I could find absolutely nowhere had her first child who was a son.
1: (laughs) So, okay. So here's what we have. She has got two full blood sisters from mama. She has got a half brother. And so basically these four children grew up the closest together. How many children does Papa have? Ultimately impossible to say. I read somewhere that he had nearly 20 wives. Now, since Children took their status from their mother. They could not possibly allow this outsider woman to be the mother of kings. And, you know, she must have known her body politically because all she had was daughters. (laughs) So that all worked out.
0: Yeah. When she was born, the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck. And to us, that seems like a really scary thing to happen. But in this particular culture, it was actually not a bad thing. It was an indicator that something great was going to happen to this child. And her name was actually derivative of the word for twisted. She was
1: destined for great things because of that cord having been wrapped around her neck. And my son, Mm -hmm. obviously, then destined for great things. (laughs) All right. I love that.
0: I would agree with it. I, I think your son is destined for great things.
1: So this part of Africa, which if you're looking at a map is uh it's on the lower middle left, had been traditionally ruled by individual heads of clans, sort of an every man for himself situation or in fact an every woman for herself situation as the husbands are the married-ins. The husbands would go to the wife's family and not the other way around. I'm talking 700 little tiny clans. But about 60 or so years before our story begins here with Nzinga, the clans had come together under this very loose confederation. Under Nzinga's, I want to say, great-great-great-great-grandpa. I think I have enough greats. Okay. (laughs) But they formed into the kingdom of Ndongo. So why? Why did they do that? It seems to have happened right about when the very first Portuguese came. So I think it was a matter of self-defense and maybe just kind of some trading power, too, to have one figurehead for those strangers to talk to. Gave you more power, I think. Mm -hmm. Other neighbors had found it expedient to just make deals with the Portuguese for an easy life, like quotas of slaves, amounts of ivory, Uh, etc. For example, the Kingdom of Congo, that should sound very familiar. That word to the north um, was interested in no sort of conflict. They just, okay, here you go. Let's make a deal. But Papa was not having it. He didn't want to negotiate with these strangers. This was his land. These were his people. And he was not going to have it. The thing that I
0: have to keep reminding myself is, you know, we think African slavery, you know, slavery goes back, I mean, to the earliest parts of time. Well, and might
1: I add, all over
0: ancient Rome. They didn't invent this. And inter-African slavery was actually a thing. Although it was often criminals or warring factions who, who, like Nzinga's mom, who were taken. um, It wasn't what we think of as slavery, a mass export. It existed, but it wasn't anywhere near what happened once the Portuguese got involved in the whole, I hate to say this, the whole business of it? Mm-hmm.
1: Slaves were, that were taken internally were kind of treated more like, I don't know, like more like indentured servants. It wasn't awesome, don't get me wrong. You no. were taken from everything you knew to work mm-hmm. and live among completely unfamiliar people as a definite second class citizen, but you right. did have some rights. And your master had some responsibilities for your well-being. And if you think about it, if he treated you well, well, his relatives that had been taken could also be counted upon to be treated well. You know, it was like kind of a mutual mm, unspoken agreement, you know. And there were chances that you could ultimately go back to where you came from. Mm -hmm. And remember Nzinga's own mother, the king's wife, was once a slave. So people from the eastern part of Africa that's the right-hand side of Africa, had been taken since the 800s by Arab slave traders. Incidentally, the Arab slave traders raided Spain and Portugal, too, by the way, and England, what, and Iceland. I mean, maybe you do not want to live anywhere near the coast during this time period. I'm just telling you.
0: (laughs) The view might be great,
1: but... mm. The plan there, I think, um, they took mostly female slaves. Mostly. Um, or if they took male slaves, they, their plan was to kind of work you to death because, you know, who cares? I don't know your dad. I don't mm-hmm. care what happens to you. And um, We're looking at uh, over the course of a, a thousand years, we're looking at 10 million, maybe even 17 million East Africans and one to two million Europeans that went on the eastern slave trade. So this is all going on all across the continent um, mm-hmm. and up north to Mali and Morocco and Algiers. But lower West Africa has um, been up until now a largely untapped resource. You know, the ships from Europe had too large of a draft to get anywhere near this coast up until Portuguese came in with their shallow holes and their white sails and their new technology with novelty and smiling faces and offers of friendship. They made it. The Portuguese made it.
0: (laughs) You know, you think about it, you're like, well, why would anybody make a deal with the Portuguese? I mean... the, The future is bleak. But what the Portuguese were doing is they were coming in and negotiating. They weren't, like, necessarily coming in with guns blazing. They were coming in and saying, hey, look, let's put you under the control of our great country and our great pope, and we will give you a little Christianity, send you some missionaries to help, you know, bring you up to speed. You just give us a few slaves that you don't need, and we'll have a nice little agreement here. But... And Zinga's dad was having no part of it.
1: And I'm almost thinking, you know, that old um, story about, you know, you cook a lobster by putting him in cold water and he's all chill. And then you turn the temperature up gradually until he doesn't realize that he's fully cooked. Yeah. And that's <laughs> Although, exactly- you know what? We put them on
0: their heads. Somebody told me it anesthetizes them, <laughs> which totally blows your story out of the
1: water. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't eat things with exoskeletons and you're the expert, so I don't even know. <laughs>
0: yeah you stand them on their heads for a few minutes and they get kind of stoned or stupid or uh, suffocated. I'm not quite sure what happens, but
1: well, maybe I'm thinking of frogs,
0: yeah, you're thinking of frogs.
1: yeah, that's the story. I don't eat either of those things, so it doesn't matter to me. All <laughs> a frog doesn't have, have an exoskeleton. <laughs> I know, but frogs they're mm, I don't know there's.
0: Could that- be. Yeah, I'm not a frog eater either. But anyway, back (laughs) to our story.
1: (laughs) So back to, okay, so ultimately, what did the Portuguese want? What was the benefit to them? Well, you know, what didn't they want? Because this is the age of exploration. More, more, more. They wanted, they had a suspicion there was silver. In Damthar mm-hmm. Hills, they uh, wanted an overland trade route through Africa to China and India. Spices were where the money was, man. And slaves they wanted to take to Brazil um, to work on their sugarcane plantations, you know, and the islands of the Caribbean. Now, they wanted to take them far away. And, you know, what you would see looking out onto the dock is you would see people panicking. They're going to be taken far from home. They're not going to be treated very well. And the number of slaves that leaped off these Portuguese boats, all chained together to their certain death, rather than go on these boats, should tell you how bad the conditions were, where they were going. Yeah, there's
0: no glossing over that at this point in history. There's no glossing over what happened to slaves at that point.
1: Yeah, and this is really, really early in the program, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: and then they already knew what was at the other end. Inter-African slaves could go back to their tribes.
1: Nobody that goes to Brazil is coming back. So what do we really know about Nzinga's childhood? We know precious little, really. A wise woman once told Mama that one day Nzinga would be a queen. So that's less crazy than it sounds because she's functionally a princess right now, as we'd see her. So she's going to have a relatively well-made marriage. Papa's royal compound was in the capital of Kabasa. And if you're picturing this quaint little village, you would be wrong. (laughs) You'd be wrong. It was a city of 50,000 people. For comparison, London at this time only had 140,000 people. That's shocking, huh? So, Cabasa was a substantial settlement. So, from her birth, from her house in a protected courtyard with royal bodyguards and protocols and servants slash slaves, Nzinga and her family were personages. They were celebrities. Um, She was taught to read and write and speak Portuguese by a Portuguese priest her father had captured in battle. (laughs) <laughs> and now he kept him as a slave. He kept
0: him, but you know what? He stayed willingly from everything I could understand. I think he really embraced the culture. You know, he was Portuguese and European, but he came in and he kind of really related to the culture. And yeah, he was captured, but he stayed there a long time. And he was actually a part of her life for most of her life. You know, yeah. she he keeps popping up. And he's actually the guy that wrote the first biographies of her
1: this man is named father giovanni cavazzi and it's he reminds me so much if you ever watch that show vikings there is a captive that the vikings take he is a british captive named athelstan And the Vikings were intrigued by his belief system. And, you know, it never hurts to have a cultural translator, too, when you're fighting an enemy. So this father reminds me a lot of Athelstan, who, in fact, kind of got, I don't know, Stockholm syndrome. And he kind of became Viking-esque there toward the end. I wonder if that's what happened to Father Kavasi too.
0: Yeah, that's certainly possible. I mean, he goes back to the Portuguese eventually, Yep. But he's still connected to her. So, so I like
1: Nzinga it. Zynga grew up eating yams and radishes and millet and beans and bananas and termites, which incidentally taste like salt and vinegar chips, if you're brave. Really? Wait, wait, wait. You won't eat shrimp, but you ate termites? No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I looked up recipes for termites. And you know, and people who've listened to this show for a long time know that I'm married to a chef who will eat eyeballs. And I will guarantee you, I read him that sentence. And he's like, where can I get termites around here? <laughs> and honestly there's an african market downtown and i wonder i wonder I like, okay i'm like wondering did he do it okay well i just told him last night so hmm. so back to nzinga it's very unlikely that nzinga was seen as a successor she did have at least one half brother from the first wife mbandi was his name who was sort of how should we say i'm gonna say soft stupid Oh <laughs> <laughs> sorry soft and stupid okay well maybe not the man for the job No, I kept I kept
0: seeing things where he was eating a lot. Like he just he was really lazy and unmotivated and ate a lot. I don't know if that's a translation of something. You know what I mean? Like, but can
1: I please put a disclaimer in here, though?
0: Oh, please do. do. We know about
1: Mbandi from an adult, victorious, not very kind sister. (laughs) (laughs) So Mbandi could have been perfectly nice and everything, but all we know about him is what his sister said about him. So to the victor, go the histories.
0: (laughs) Although on the flip side, I mean, we could take that another level. All that we know about Nzinga is what other people said about her. Yeah. I mean, let's take this disclaimer all the way out.
1: So what we're going with is Mbandi was uh, you know it's one thing to be a king in peacetime laying on your mat eating up all your food but you know it's quite another to be the king during times of war so girls were not really supposed to hunt or be involved with war but Nzinga seems to have been papa's favorite child
0: He taught her things that girls don't normally learn, like how to hunt, how to trade between tribes, how to use a bow and arrow. She learned about diplomacy and military strategy. This isn't anything she's going to need back at court, but these are all things that she took to and she seemed to love very much, and Papa was happy to teach them to her.
1: He took her along when he visited his territories. So at some point, over age 13... But under, age 34, this is how much we know, Nzingo was married and had a son. Do we know his name? We do not. A nobleman Certainly. Otherwise, we really don't know. We don't know what year the son was born. We don't know the husband's name. But what we do know is that Nzinga promised her father that she herself would protect the people. So maybe there was some doubt about old Mbandi, even in Papa's mind. And then a whole bunch of things happened at once. <laughs> a whole bunch of things. The Portuguese moved their main base from an island off the coast to a fort fully into their land on the coast. Mm-hmm. Brother Umbandi had his own father killed, or else Papa just died. We don't know which. King out. That's all we know. And Umbandi took over as king. And worse, he laid waste, Umbandi did, to the nobility that had been loyal to the old king, going so far as to kill Nzinga's son who, after all, was a rival claimant to the throne and Nzinga's mother. Yeah, you know what? The, the thing about this part of the story that kind of
0: surprised me is this sounds like a very um, aggressive move for somebody who had been painted so soft, like you said. So I think there was some uncles that were kind of pulling his puppet strings. And I think he was probably a little bit more... Um, cutthroat than history gave him credit for.
1: I wrote here, the uncles are pushing him. These must be <laughs> maternal uncles. His mom of the nobility obviously had brothers that were of the nobility. And that seems like the kind of guys that would uh, take the opportunity.
0: Yeah. And she doesn't sound like um, a kind of soft, fuzzy, comfortable in her position queen she sounds very manipulative and uh, you know always uh, which she probably had to always looking out to make sure that her son was the one that was going to you know inherit everything because Nzinga was probably showing off that she was you know that she was a lot more bold than
1: the average
0: princess you know what I mean
1: well and people seem to have liked her better than anyone in the royal family. She seemed to have some kind of charm and some kind of magnetismo, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean, that people yeah. just took to her. And she wasn't
0: she wasn't shy. There's a one story I read where her brother tried to steal her necklace so she beat the crap out of him in front of the whole village, you know, embarrassing him. So she was like, all right, I'm not going to take this from you. Papa taught me some moves, you know. And she used them on her brother who was the future king.
1: After Mbondi took over... I have to say, during the purge, Nzinga, and I think her husband also, he disappears after this point. Yeah, He's here right now. This mm-hmm. is the last we hear of this actual husband. But they fled the capital, and Mbandi himself had to retreat to an island fortress as the Portuguese ran over the place because of the power vacuum. So it was time to negotiate, for real, I guess, with the Portuguese, who were taking Matamba people at an alarming rate. I mean, they're- uh, sucking the people out like a vacuum cleaner. They were assisted by this sort of roving group of mercenary types that was this clan called the Inbangala and these dudes man these dudes sound scary they filed their <laughs> teeth into points. They are not playing the thought of a file scraping across my teeth. Think about that right now like it's freaking me out <laughs> You handle the dentist Oh <laughs> I just it gives me the heebie-jeebies think about just one time going across my teeth. I would not have the stamina to get them all to a point. Anyway, the Imbangala knew the land, which had been an obstacle to the Portuguese. In fact, Papa had often thought that was full of comedy. Like they'd try to come in February. Well, don't they know it floods in February? They try to go down this one river. Don't they know it ends in a waterfall? Like, no, in fact, they didn't, although they had to learn the hard way. On a lot of that stuff. But, you know, who knows about that stuff is the Ibangala. So you have these guys. You don't need to worry about that stuff anymore. And now they're kind of through the door, the Portuguese, sort of. With a big stick, you know what? We have to always also remember
0: when we're talking about these battles and these the guerrilla warfare that's gonna going on is we're not talking about the plains of Africa. We're talking about this very mountainous area with um, these huge rock mountains. Is all I can think. It's very. I'll put pictures on the show notes. It's a very unusual looking landscape um, to our eye.
1: But it's not like flat, you
0: know, it's really rugged, I guess is a good way to say it.
1: So right now, right before Nzinga kind of starts making her official mark on history, I think it's good time to take a little break.
0: When we come back, we'll see what exactly happens to her. We're back, and is off with her sister. She's kind of in exile, but she's kind of playing, um, starting her her ground game in a way, and that she's just keeping herself away from the action, but she's starting to tell people, you know what, he might not be the best guy for the job here. She's just kind of starting
1: that little head game with people, I guess. Yeah, the the old telephone game long before telephones were invented. Yeah. Um so Ngola Mbandi, King Mbandi, ah uh, the brother's the king, that is just no good. He needed an ambassador to talk to the Portuguese who were in fact fixing to come over and really take him out. He was in a dire situation, he needed an ambassador. And so, he required his eldest sister to make the long, dangerous journey to the Portuguese port at Luanda and negotiate terms with the governor there. Oh, I'm going to try to say this. Por- I'm okay with the African names, but the Portuguese name. Hmm. I know this one really, I kept looking it up and then yeah,
0: I'm going to let you pronounce it. That's how well I got it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fernando Joao Carreo
0: de Sosa. Well, he was a new governor. He was just brought in and it was probably a good time maybe to negotiate a little before he played his hand, and they did have a little bit of negotiating power. They did have some um, European hostages, captives, I guess you could say, that they could deal with. So it wasn't like she was just going in and he's going to go, forget it. I don't want to deal with you. They were blocking the route to the inner parts of Africa. So Nzinga did have a little bit of negotiating power on her side.
1: So off she went in 1622, two years after the pilgrims landed, at Plymouth Rock, how's that for a place in history?
0: That is a fantastic place in history.
1: So off she went with an entourage, her finery, the trappings of royalty, to put herself in real peril. And she was received <laughs> with real courtesy, except that in the presence chamber, or you know, the council room, whatever the governor's meeting room was called, <laughs> guess what? Mister. De Souza was sitting on a big chair,
0: the only chair in the room.
1: This is one of those folklory stories, so bear with us. When Zynga requested a chair, they brought her a grass mat for her to sit on, obviously underlining their view that she was a subordinate. Fortunately, she'd had that really great education, and she understood
0: diplomacy, and she understood where these people were coming from. So she just kind of motioned, and one of her maidservants came, kneeled down on that grass mat, and in Zynga, in all her royal fluffiness, sat down, ready to deal eye to eye with the governor.
1: So she had a chair made out of a human. Top that, Chachi. (laughs) So she sat on that servant's back for the rest of the meeting. Um, So much emphasis on the chair. Even a lot later in Versailles, who could have Mm -hmm. a stool? Who could have a chair? That was still a big deal. Even now, the chairman of the board's the top dog. Chairs evidently say a lot. Yeah, he's got the big cushy one at the head of the table. Yeah, good point. And he's called the chairman. Oh, duh. Uh, So Nzinga made quite an impression, that's for sure. I can only imagine the gossip cruising around after that scenario. And I do think she had a natural charm and a quick mind. And she went a step further. Who, to my wondering eyes, should appear but old father Giovanni Cavazzi, the priest who had taught her to speak Portuguese. Her father's captive. He's now back with his own people. And so Nzinga, quote, converted to catholicism mm. did she really <laughs> don't know she was baptized she mm. took the name of the governor's wife at her baptism so now she was known officially as Doña, which means lady Doña Ana de sosa a tactic most likely a tactic as it seems like she never actually practiced any form of christianity herself ever but it did soften their cough it sort of bought some time they feel like they have one, you know, kind of or that they're doing the right thing. And so they're going to give you a little more leeway. Well, she also
0: had the governor's wife as her godmother and the governor as her godfather. So,
1: <laughs> so she sort of bought some time. Time is what Brother Bondi did not have. Within weeks of Nzinga's return to the court, he was dead. So there's rumors, of course, that Nzinga had had him poisoned or heck did it herself. Couldn't be proven then and certainly can't be proven from here. He had killed her son and her mother. And perhaps this was that revenge that was served cold, you know, that they always talk about. It could just be suicide, like she said. So We don't know how it happened, but regardless, he's dead. So either way, Umbandi out. As the eldest remaining member of the royal family, Nzinga was made the regent for her brother's young son. Who was kind of seen as the natural heir, although it didn't really always go that way that he was kind of the consensus candidate let's just say uh, among the nobles but very briefly because he also died and Nzinga was now the queen of Nandango is that suspicious
0: not much I know I'm like I put mysteriously in quotes
1: and at first Nzinga agreed I wouldn't say meekly, but meekly is in quotes on my page, to go (laughs) ahead and pay tribute to the Portuguese. You know, so many slaves, so much ivory. But then over time, she started pulling back on the deal because they started pulling back on the deal. I don't know who did it first, but, you know, you can't send raiders and act like you didn't know they came because you did. Portuguese <laughs> people. You did. So she blocked their access to the center of the continent. She cut back on those taxes, is what they called them, the tribute that she was paying them. In right. general, she acted like a queen. You know what I'm saying? Or like a pain <laughs> in their knees. Either one. <laughs> a royal pain in their knees. How about that? Oh <laughs> no. problematically, there were still men who could not bear the thought of a female ruler. Even though... Their clans were structured along matrilineal lines. And so the Portuguese exploited this, and they backed a male rival for the throne and really succeeded in dividing loyalties. Queens in Africa were not unusual at the time. There there was many queens, I mean, going
0: back quite a long time, but some old men... Just never really get on the program. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, and against her, not only was her femaleness, but the fact that her mother had been what they called a jaga, which is an outsider. And so therefore she... as children take the status of their mother, was an outsider now ruling. I kind of wonder if Mbandi had had a full-blooded sister that had taken over, would it have been as big of an issue? I don't know which was the greater issue, I guess is what I'm saying. They saw what happened when Papa King had died. You know, they needed to get
0: somebody in there. The Portuguese were not only just battling with the Africans, but the Dutch at this point were starting to come in. You know, so there's like these battles going on all around, and it's a really chaotic time. For African history,
1: a civil war began in Ndago, uh, culminating in the burning of the capital city. Babai, And Nzinga and those loyal to her had to flee to the east, where she set up a base and openly welcomed any runaway slave into her army, her Jaga army. Let's just embrace it, the outsider army. Are you a (laughs) Portuguese soldier who's unhappy with the way your superior's been treating you? Come to the Jaga army. We'll accept you. Are you a crazy cockamamie marauder with no sense of decency? Come to the Jaga army. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take you. We'll take anybody. That's fine. Come over here. Sit down. Have some rice. She conquered the kingdom of Matamba from the ruler, who was a queen. And guess who lived around here? Those pointy-toothed warriors, the Imbangala, who had no trouble with a female ruler, really. They had a traditional role, in fact, for a warrior queen. Kind of an adjunct to the chief. Even sort of a marriage, I guess. It was an official (laughs) type of position. These dudes. These dudes were (laughs) harsh.
0: I mean their hearts and their loyalties were like non-existent, except even to each other. It's like if you watch The Walking Dead, any of those societies that have no allegiances to anybody except themselves, that's these guys. And they're extremely like in The Walking Dead, violent. I mean, we're talking cannibalism here. We're talking infanticide. Infanticide? I didn't even know how to pronounce it.
1: Infanticide.
0: And that's another one of those words I've only ever seen printed. Infanticide. We're talking about dead babies here. You know, and they, that's just their culture. That's the way that they operate. And Nzinga and really wasn't too, like, went for it. She's like, okay, fine. If I could pretend to be a Christian, I guess I can pretend to be one of you guys.
1: Yeah, they had this rule that Nzinga enforced that if you were a woman under 30, you were not allowed to have a baby. And if you did have the baby, it was left outside for the forest creatures to consume. Um, yeah. And you... <laughs> This seems very unfair. Now, this is something that may or may not be true. She was accused of this kind of barbarism um,
0: mm-hmm. by
1: Europeans who later wrote about her. They said that any woman who had a baby was pressed in a mortar, like was pressed what? to death with heavy stones. Oh,
0: okay. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yes. So that was. Um, hmm. So that's the reputation we've got going on now. Yeah. So she began, though, to carry on her father's legacy, which was to protect her people from colonization and oppression. She's taking names. She's kicking A's, like Hatshepsut before her, episode 45 of the History Chicks. (laughs) And Zinka preferred to be referred to as a king rather than a queen. And she wore men's clothes while leading her troops in battle, which is really just more practical. (laughs) <laughs> well, she was actually kind of a a fashion
0: chameleon, I think, is probably the best way to describe it. Because, yes, yeah, she did wear those animal skins and her axe at her waist. And she had her sword and her bow and arrow when she went into battle. But when she was acting as queen, she kind of wore, um, you know, queenly garb and embroidered golden cloak and velvet slippers. She had this helmet-like crown with a feather in it she had lots of bling all over her hardly anything you'd want to go into battle in but then when she went to meet with any europeans she dressed like a european she dressed in european fashions her closet must have been
1: amazing <laughs> <laughs> she definitely had a lady's maid although i don't know what she called her yes. so her two sisters kufungi and Mikombo, acted as both her aides and her generals it was super girl power And her ways were kind of legend, even... uh, Okay, so we enter the realm of, I don't know, such a person as the Marquis de Sade, famous for, you guessed it, sadism, had some (laughs) things to say about Nzinga. According to him, take this with a grain of salt, by the way, please, who knows if this is true, no one, in Marquis de Sade's book, Philosophy in the Boudoir... The Marquis wrote that Queen Nzinga had a prison full of male captives that were her lover for one night and then were burned alive the next day. Hmm. Now, it does fit the Magala persona, I will tell you, because they were about that bad. And, you know, that's the whole basis of the Arabian Nights stories. Do you remember that? Like Scheherazade had to tell stories to save her life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's out there. It's not unheard of mythology. Um, Is it mythology? Is it truth? Hmm. I don't know. I just wanted to tell you that the Marquis de Sade has made his way into this story.
0: Okay. You know what? There's all, I mean, Marquis de Sade's uh, name attached to it aside, there's so many other things that, elements to the story that I think she wouldn't have said, oh yeah, that didn't happen. Because it made her out to be this even more warrior like, even more bold and brazen. There's so many things with big, giant question marks next to it. So it's known pretty much that she did have quite a few husbands that she called concubines. And like you said, you know, did she kill them afterwards? Mm, Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. But she also dressed them like women and had them sleeping with her female servants. And if they touched, the two touched, then death. To them both. Really? There's other legends that said that um, when she had killed her nephew back a few, you know, a few minutes ago, <laughs> uh, she then she ate his heart and she drank the blood of her brother's family after she had them killed. Mm, I don't know. Did she decapitate slaves and drink their blood for courage before she went into battle?
1: Mm. So now let's go back into the realm of Probability. <laughs> when Nzinga was 58 years old, she made a historic alliance with the Dutch against the Portuguese. Historic because this is the first time that they've kind of made an equal partnership with an European power. And with her new partners, she engaged in open warfare, not only against the Portuguese, but against their papa ruler, that male claimant from before, who had been baptized Felipe. Her younger sister, who'd been working as a spy, was unmasked and was executed by the Portuguese by drowning her in a river. Hmm. After seven years of open warfare, the Dutch sort of reevaluated you know, how important is this African interior to us anyway? Are we wasting our resources? And they kind of abandoned her and her people. And she retreated back to Matamba, but she never gave up fighting against the Portuguese. And her troops didn't let up. It was kind of like guerrilla warfare. They did not let up harassing the Portuguese and preventing them from incursions until the year Nzinga turned 74 years old. She was not having the mistreatment of her people. And she was seeing to it personally. In a lot of these stories, you know, you'll see like in
0: Zynga, like uh, she's kind of Disney-fied and that she was like this young princess who was this young princess warrior. The, the original treaty with the Portuguese, she was 40.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: She was 40. And we're talking about a woman now in her 70s. She's battled this for 30 years. That's
1: incredible. So Nzinga mm-hmm. decided to bring a peace to her people at last. There's so many years of war. The farms had just suffered. The Obviously, the birth rate had dropped when you try to hold it to zero. She had actually set up kind of a boarding school system
0: for her warriors where she'd take the youth away from their families and send them off to be trained. Now, families are getting too be uh, reunited
1: at this point (laughs) Um, you know maybe it's time for another negotiation with the portuguese she rededicated herself to the catholic church tactic or not i don't know i don't think it matters it was a really good pr move she allowed the capuchin missionaries to operate in her lands and baptize her people and portugal get this recognized (sighs) her as the legitimate ruler what about me King Felipe and their answer was <laughs> Felipe who which is cold oh. <laughs> oh. well they finally had somebody you know
0: she's been battling them They, her uh, reputation probably sealed the deal for her even though the, the, her reputation was being a thorn in their side.
1: Oh, man, that is cold. Sorry, old Felipe. I don't know what happened to him. Probably not good things. <laughs> so a brief period of relative peace, babies were born and allowed to not be eaten by wild creatures. That that was good. She's actually trying to
0: um, establish an economy that could exist without a slave trade. I mean, I don't know if she realized that it... Wasn't going to stop, but she started, you know, importing and exporting fish and animals and textiles. And palm wine was a big product, <laughs> you know, that ha- didn't have anything to do with slaves.
1: <laughs> have you ever had palm wine? I haven't, but uh, from what I have seen when people drink it, it seems a lot like everybody's doing tequila shots. Oh. <laughs> And I almost think, because I have, in fact, had moonshine, it almost seems like all that rough liquor, like pulque, isn't that made from cactus, and uh-huh. moonshine, made from corn squeezins, and all that kind of rough, natural liquor kind of has that same tequila-y overtone. Uh, okay, I'd never even
0: seen it. I didn't even know it was a thing.
1: Uh, you know, that's like almost the first thing people do. You get them on a desert island, they find water, and they make liquor out of something. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I think that's like human nature. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> so um, there were attempts to dislodge her, but really no one had a chance at this point, really. Her reputation, her popularity were just so great. So great. And she's really working to make a peacetime society for what it's worth later. But the only opponent to succeed was death, in fact, <laughs> who uh, inevitably came on December 17th, 1663, not in battle. If you had been a gambler, you would have put money on that. No, but in her sleep. <laughs> At 82, the woman was 82 years old. That's so, 82 years of fighting in her life. So for a little familiar perspective, she outlasted James I, who was Mary Queen of Scots's son, Charles I, Oliver Cromwell, and into the reign of Charles II in England. Over in France, Louis XIV had begun work on the Palace of Versailles. So we go from Plymouth Rock to Versailles. (laughs) She was succeeded briefly as queen by her sister Mukambu, uh, who was known by the Portuguese and to history as Queen Barbara. That was her baptismal name. And Barbara had her sister buried with her leopard skin, which was a sign of royalty and with arrows in her hand and a bow slung over her shoulder. I'd love that. And Zynga had been a force to contend with. Nobody can doubt that. She had opposed the colonization of her country so effectively that once she was gone after this brief spell of Barbara holding things together, Ndongo and Matamba became a part of the larger Angola colony less than a decade later. I'm sorry to say. I mean, she was the one holding it all together. But she was a symbol of resistance and of strength against great odds. And many slaves who ended up in America and the Caribbean were of Angolan ancestry and had grown up hearing stories of the warrior queen and passed those stories on to their children and their grandchildren. And her story was inspirational to the freedom fighters in modern day Angola who finally achieved independence from Portugal. In 1975. And I'm very sorry to say. This is just not a good epilogue for all this work. But I'm sorry to say Angola has been the site of a proxy war. Kind of between the US and Russia. uh, Until about 2002. And Angola is slash was still the site of many forgotten landmines. So if you remember when Princess Diana was on her anti-landmine campaign. That was her big Mm -hmm. um, work, right. was the landmine, the eradication of them. That's Angola where she was. Right. And, um, there's so many victims there even now. So poor Angola and poor Nzinga.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's really sad.
1: (laughs) Although, you know what we
0: can, I I guess if we want to like, think of it, anything nice, the name Angola came from the, what they called the Kings, the Angola N G O L A. That's right. They, they repurposed it and respelled it, the Portuguese, and turned it into Angola. So they're still kind of there. I don't know.
1: Well, and there's a dialect off the coast of the Carolinas in some islands. And the dialect is called Gullah, And that actually comes from the word Angola, too. And so it's a little dialect that was brought pretty much uh, has a lot of African elements still in it. Even now, mm-hmm. although I think like all dialects in America, it, you know slowly disappearing, but... So yeah. that dialect, um, I'll maybe we can link you up to what that sounds like. Basically an American accent and vocabulary that kind of stems right from Central Africa and Queen Nzinga's time. And so now it is time for media. Let's just start with books. There really isn't a lot of books out there about
0: her, specifically, so my guess is we probably have the same ones. Go ahead.
1: Well, there is a chapter in... See, we have this old friend, Antonia Frazier, has written so many things about Marie Antoinette and other people we've covered. She has a book called The Warrior Queens, and there is a chapter that covers Nzinga. She also covers Cleopatra, Margaret Thatcher, and Indira Gandhi, like that. So that's, uh, you know, I think that's an all-around winner.
0: Oh, I think so. That actually sounds like a good book to own.
1: It really does. Pat McKissick has a child's book, I would say maybe an 11 to 12-year-old audience, Nzinga, Warrior Queen of Matamba. And it has a pronunciation guide, which is super helpful, but you should know it's written from the perspective of the 13-year-old Nzinga as a diary. And although she does take pains to point out the imaginary characters, they are... Throughout the book. Well, it's historical fiction. It's like a training, training wheels
0: for historical fiction.
1: And there is also another historical fiction, although it's categorized as a fictionalized biography. I don't know what the <laughs> difference is. Nzinga, African Warrior Queen by Moses Howard. If you are a reader in French, you may read a controversial book written by a priest named Jean Louis Castillon called Zinga with a Z, Ren d'Angola, and I cannot find a translation anywhere. <laughs> so if you do read French, um, you know, head for that. That was the first biography of her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There is also a chapter in the book In Praise of Black Women by Simone Schumer Bart. So there's not too many full-length biographies. No. There is also a chapter in... Ivan Van Sertima's Black Women in Antiquity. Just a chapter. Again, just a chapter. <laughs> and then I just went out a little bit and I read. Now, this is mostly about the Caribbean and it's mostly about the Spanish. But, of course, Philip II also ruled Portugal during some of this event. So it was kind of how they began expansion into Brazil, South America, Central America, and the role that slavery had in that. And it's called World Without End. And I will just put the author's name on the show notes because I didn't write it down. Oh, is that all the books you have? That's all the books I have. There was a um,
0: a little kid's book that I really liked. Um, it's just called, okay, it's one of the 21 ways to spell her name. Ninjinga, the Warrior Queen by Janie Havermeyer, illustrated by Peter Malone. And I thought it was actually for a kid's book. I thought it was very detailed, which was nice okay and then this one I've actually read this book before because I just thought it was great Um, it's called princesses behaving badly real stories from history without fairy tale endings by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie and she just has a chapter in here but it's it's kind of if you I think if you like this podcast you would really like this book it's written rather irreverent
1: what's the word irreverently Thank you. Wow.
0: It's written very irreverently. But uh, yeah, Hed Shepset's in here. I think we we probably talked about it back then with Hed Shepset.
1: There is a movie. It's <laughs> in Portuguese. It's out there. It's from 2013. And I'm danged if I could get anything more than the trailer. So we'll link you to the trailer. Yep. And that's all I couldn't get it either. And I looked really hard for it. And I was so mad
0: because the trailer looks really good.
1: I mean, my whole library system didn't have it. I couldn't nope. find it on a streaming service anywhere. Nope. So nope. if somebody finds it, I would be interested to watch it. The trailer has English subtitles. So don't feel like you have to bone up on your Portuguese to, uh, <laughs> to understand what they're talking about. It's, you know, two and a half or so minutes long. Yeah. Yeah, but didn't it look really good? It like, did. didn't it look
0: like a movie that we would have loved to watch? I know. There's actually, in uh, 2006, there's a Brazilian, and I guess it's, <laughs> I didn't understand it. Um, it's, I think it's a fan fiction, like a retelling. It's called Atabaque Nzinga. All I can tell you is the music was really good because that's all I understood. Yeah, <laughs> there weren't,
1: really... <laughs> I tried to watch that and there were no subtitles. Mm-mm, and nope. it seemed to be set like there's a whole bunch of flash forwards to modern day so i am not 100% sure if it is just right the name Nzinga, which is a mm-hmm. very popular name to give girl children but i read something about it and it did sound like there was some
0: parallels to her story but it wasn't like it wasn't like the other I
1: see, you know like like the modern day tellings of a cinderella story maybe exactly I That's what, what I, you're saying. <laughs> That's through my ears. That's what I think it was. Anyway. So uh, Ivan von Sartimus, who wrote a book that I referenced earlier, has a YouTube channel. I will say his production value is not what it could be. But content wise, he's very passionate about the subject of medieval and, you know, other period uh, mm-hmm. rulers in Africa that have really been lost to history. So he has a point that not only black history has been paved over. Black women's history, man. Now you're digging with a bigger shovel.
0: Yeah, I like that one a lot. There's actually also, and this, there's just like, she has one little video. It's BBC Africa has a YouTube series about contemporary African women you need to know. And they do do cover her in one of them, but they're really short. Um, They're great introductions to some African women and cultures that people really need to know about. We'll link you up to that.
1: On the Pinterest board, I have things like maps of colonization, maps of the slave trade, and I've got the statue of her in Luanda. There's different links that we just didn't have room for on the show notes are going to be just put in the Pinterest like usual. Mm-hmm. I have also on this one recipes for bug eating from Mother Earth News. That
0: a girl. <laughs> That's
1: where I found out that termites <laughs> taste like salt and vinegar chips. Evidently, when they get freaked out, they... Exude an acid and nice and tart, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Okay. All right. And then last thing I have is um, this past Olympics, there was an Olympic fencer named Nzinga Prescott, and she was literally named after our current Nzinga that we are talking about.
0: Did you look up the name on any uh, baby naming sites? I didn't. It's listed, but there's no like record of it being used a lot. So the field is pretty much wide open, <laughs> I would think. There's, you know, going back to books for a second. Um, there is a book that's coming out in t- uh, 2017, Njinga of Angola" by Linda Hayward. I didn't read it because obviously it's not out yet, but I saw interviews with her talking about this book going back as far as 2011. That's five years ago, six years ago, I guess, by the time it comes out. So she really worked on this for a long time. So I would be very interested to read that. Did you know that there's a statue of her in Luanda?
1: I already talked about that.
0: Oh, you did? (laughs)
1: I said I put a picture of the statue of her. In oh, you did. On you're, the
0: absolutely, you're absolutely right. I was reading something else. You, Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Did you know that there's a breakfast cafe in Durham, North Carolina?
1: I did not know that.
0: <laughs> Named after her? Yes. It's got four stars on Yelp. It has such delicacies as shrimp and okra and red velvet waffles. Great service and a cozy atmosphere. I
1: know. Red velvet waffles. (laughs)
0: Um, And one of the pronunciations for her name is Jenga. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking of Jenga, the game. So I wanted to know. Yeah. It actually is a Swahili word for build. And the woman who developed it, her family had, she's British and had bought some blocks from a, um, from a woodsmith in Ghana, Africa. And created the game, but it wasn't an African game or Chinese game. There's no record of it before the 1970s, but
1: I just kept coming. I'm like, I want to go play Jenga. So let us leave you with a quote from another book, Donald Burgess's Nzinga Mumbandi and Angolan Independence. The spirit of Nzinga is not dead. It serves as a source of inspiration and pride to a people and its leaders who face new challenges and new opportunities. Thanks for listening. Bye. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a few friends, or if you're so inclined, leave a review for us on iTunes. Follow the Pinterest boards. There's a board for every single episode, and you can talk to Susan on Twitter. You can follow me if you want to, but I'm a very disappointing participant. You'd be more likely to find me over on Instagram. The show notes are located at thehistorychicks.com, and the closing song is currently the national anthem of Angola, Angola Avante, which means Forward Angola, which could possibly change as it harkens back to the time from 1975 to 2002 when the country was under one-party rule. So, stay tuned, that anthem might be set to change.